0: Did did you know they're 15-foot-long sharks cruising around the south end of the island? Now I'm not ever going swimming out there again. (laughs) But they are incredibly deep. They live down really deep. And no deeper than scuba, um, traditionally goes.
1: Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 116 of the Commando Voice. Today I speak with an expedition manager for Ocean Gate Expeditions. Please welcome Kyle Bingham. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Kameno Voice Podcast, where I interview folks around Kameno Island and beyond. If you want to stay up to date on events, businesses, and even hear a little history of this area, subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends. Thanks for listening. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. Uh, thank you again for just continuing to listen to the podcast. Um, I enjoy putting this out here and talking with different people. Um, and so today, um, I get to speak with Kyle Bingham, who is the expedition manager for Ocean Gate Expeditions. Um, and uh, this was a podcast that you we talked a lot about uh following your passion, but not in a way of like, you know, just follow your passion and hope that it works out. But really being aware of the possibilities that are out there right now, as far as ways to make an income, doing what you love. Um, Now, everyone doesn't have to work a job that they absolutely love. Um, But just not... Not settling and and making sure you do check out all the options out there. Um, Kyle has had a wide range of different jobs that he's worked um, and different things that he's put together and just following his passions and the things that he enjoys doing. Um, Part of that was doing expeditions with with people, uh, more like a private expedition company. Uh, and now with Ocean Gate, he gets to explore the ocean. Uh, we talk about it being kind of, you know, another world down there. And so, um, you know, I, I think this was a really encouraging podcast. Um, if you're into adventure and um, that, Kyle has had some amazing experiences. Uh, and But if you're also just kind of looking for, you know, pick me up of like, you know, what is there out there? Um, Hopefully this encourages you a little bit and just getting out there and seeing what's out there. And maybe there's some opportunities that you didn't know existed. So um, I got a lot out of this podcast, really enjoyed it. So uh, I know you will too. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Kyle Bingham. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Commando Voice. Today I'm here with the expedition manager for Ocean Gate Expeditions. Welcome to the podcast, Kyle Bingham.
0: Thank you. Thank uh, you very much.
1: Did I pronounce the last name right?
0: You got it. Yes. yes. Okay, no. cool.
1: <laughs> Didn't double check beforehand. So, all right. Before we get started, tell us a little bit about Kyle.
0: Um. Um, yeah, I think the biggest thing I said could say, you know, life of adventure is really kind of try to summarize myself that way. grew up uh, locally uh, in the area. I've uh, been living on the island for a little of 11 years now, Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, try and travel the world and inspire other people to get out there and explore, and uh, lead by example both in adventure and, and being a husband and a father.
1: Nice. Yeah. Very cool. How many kids do you have? Two. Okay. Nice. All right. Um, so you said you've been in the area, but where did you grow up?
0: I grew up in Marysville. Okay. Yeah, so not far away. Nice. Uh, but grew up Marysville my whole life, went to Marysville Polchak High School, graduated, went to college, moved away for a little while, I think as, as many of us do, and then ended up coming back to the Northwest. Got it.
1: Yep. Nice. Where did you end up going to college?
0: I uh, we actually went to a firefighting program through every community college. Okay. I uh, got a degree in firefighting and pursued that for a while. Okay. And then moved to California, uh, kind of continued that pathway and got into travel and adventure and the, the rest is history. <laughs>
1: Nice. So with firefighting, were you looking at doing like force firefighting or are you looking at more city?
0: More city. Okay. Presidential firefighting. Yeah. I still work as a volunteer some, so still a little bit in the loop there. Yeah. So what
1: was it that kind of, how did that kind of happen then? So you went to school for firefighting, you moved to California. Did you move there for a job opportunity then?
0: Uh, Just for the adventure, I guess. So in high school, I did some study abroad stuff, got to go to Europe, Um, explored a lot of Europe during high school. I uh, kind of got the travel bug there. Okay. My dad, our family traveled a lot when we were younger, and, you know, it's just hard to sit still a little bit. Yeah. And moved to California, looked at firefighting down there, and continued to travel and, and carve that path out.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, uh, where in Europe did you travel when you were in high school?
0: Uh, England, Germany, um, Austria, Switzerland, Italy. Wow. Quite a bit.
1: Okay. Yeah. So were those like multiple like little trips or was it one big trip that you kind of hit a bunch of these countries?
0: One big trip. Okay. Yeah, hit a bunch of different countries, um, museums and churches and all those sightseeing things. And it was a big educational trip. So, you know, there's okay. a lot of study stuff too, but
1: yeah. Yeah. Very cool. All right. So then, uh, you were in California, You're looking at kind of fireman stuff. What kind of happened from there
2: then?
0: Um, so just continued to travel, and climbing was my big passion. So okay. getting out, uh, doing climbs, and a big part of what I try and do from kind of the, the travel adventure side of things is pair that with some kind of uh, giving give back somehow, okay. whether it's partner with a charity um, or a cause, and get out and travel. And that kind of uh, drove me to one of my bigger first climbs uh, was Mount Kilimanjaro in 2012. Okay. So Wow.
1: Um, so prior to that, then had mm-hmm. you been doing like smaller mountains like in the Northwest? Or... Yep.
0: The first climb I did was when I was nine years old. Oh. Uh, I climbed Mount St Helens with my dad. Okay. Uh, he was a, a climber, uh, adventurer guy too. So I blame a lot of this wanderlust on him. <laughs> um, but that was kind of my big first real climb. And climbed all the Washington volcanoes and um, you know a lot of climbing in between. We had a cabin uh, up in the in the Cascades here. Spent a lot of summers um, you know running around the hills uh, of the Cascades. So. Okay. Yeah, a lot of climbs in between, Uh, so. Nice. What was that like? Because I've got
1: four kids, and, um, you know, I've got uh, two 10-year-old daughters and then an 8-year-old son and a 5-year-old. I'm just trying to imagine, even, like, my daughters who are 10, trying to get them to climb anything that large. Like, we've done hikes and stuff, but, like, what was that like for you as a kid?
0: Um, From my perspective or my father's perspective? I think there's two (laughs) different... (laughs) He says it was a near mutiny, but I remember it more as a, a, a pretty big adventure. I mean, it's challenging for sure. And what's really neat is uh, in August, my son turned nine, and okay. my father, myself, and my son climbed Mount St. Helens. So wow. he did it just as I did nine years old. Oh. And uh, <laughs> if you ask my dad, he did it much better style than I did. Didn't complain much, made it to the top, made it back, <laughs> energy despair. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a big climb. Uh, it's challenging. It's exhausting, but... Um, I don't think it's out of the reach. I mean, a lot of people, I think, perceive some of these climbs or these adventures as these grand, big things that are unobtainable or outside of their box. Yeah. When you get introduced to it or you approach it, you know, you get educated about what the adventure is or what the climb is, um, you know, and, to, and learn the skills that it takes to get you there. Yeah. You know, little climbs in between or getting your feet used to it, understanding what you're getting into.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: M- much more of it is possible than people think. Yeah.
1: So as far as like with your kids then, how has, um, have you just from a very young age, have they been doing hikes and things like that?
0: Yeah. We have a climbing wall in our garage. (laughs) Okay. Um, yeah, we've always tried to get them outside. Uh, we do a lot of camping, a lot of hiking and follow their lead too. I mean, nothing's forced, um, but you know, getting outside and playing outside a little less screen time, um, and enjoying the aspects of the outdoors, Uh, you know, looking at birds and bugs and geocaching, things like that, yeah. that encourage you to get outside and make it fun. Nice. Yeah. yeah.
1: My, uh, my daughter is right now obsessed with beetles. Um, and so that's been
0: her thing. <laughs> that And that's great. And then, you know, go beetle hunting and learn about beetles and go look for them and get out and find new things. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, that's, that's great. Um, what are some, this is kind of just going off. What are some, uh, like trails in this area that you really suggest for kids and stuff to get out, whether that's up the Cascades or in this area.
0: Well, we've got here on the Island, two state parks mm-hmm. that have great trails. Um, there's some other trails like, uh, Ivy way here on the Island. There's a short trail that goes down to Kama beach. Okay. Um, but if kind of finding those in between spots, Iverson, of course, English boom, the parks we have just getting out and exploring geocaching, as I mentioned, is a great way to yeah. explore the parks in new ways. Okay. Um, go treasure hunting, essentially. I mean, yeah. that's, that's a fun, fun way to do it.
2: Nice.
0: Um, yeah, and then not far from here, Mount Loop Highway is kind of where our cabin was. Okay. Up out of Granite Falls. And there's great hiking up there. And I think a fun little obtainable goal for people is Mount Pilchuck. Okay. Um, we took my son up there the first time, I think, when he was five and uh, actually proposed to my wife on the summit of okay. Mount Pilchuck. So, cool. uh, <laughs> But it's a neat one because you can see it. You yeah. know, here from the island. And you can look back when you get up there, but that's a great one for families to make a goal, a summer goal. Nice,
1: yeah. cool. All right. So, um, so then you you went over, you got this whole plan to go uh, climb Kilimanjaro. What mm-hmm. was that whole? What did that process kind of look like?
0: Well, the first climb, uh, I've climbed Kilimanjaro a couple times, and the first time was with the Cancer Climber Association out of Colorado. Okay. Um, so that was a more charitable aspect of that. Um, so the build up to that you know, training and, you know, doing a lot of local climbs here. And that was kind of of a bigger personal project to climb some of the biggest mountains in the world. Uh, but Kilimanjaro was, was kind of the first ones of that. But my father had climbed Kilimanjaro uh, in years past. And I think I was probably in my early teens when he did it. And that was to me, you know, outer space, my dad climbed Kilimanjaro. What can't I do? And I hope that's kind of what I show my kids, but, you know, really just understanding that it's possible Mm -hmm. and, it's one foot in front of the other.
1: Yeah. So how was that different than what you had done previous when you climbed it the first time? Uh,
0: that climb of Kilimanjaro? Yeah. Based uh, Compared to other climbs previous to that?
1: Yeah. yeah. Because you said you had done, like I mean, you did Mount St. Helens, and then you'd climb some smaller yeah. peaks in the northwest.
0: Well, when you get to these bigger climbs and you travel for a ways, right. financially there's a little bit of an investment there. Yeah. Um, you know, you're flying to the other side of the world, and you're hoping that everything goes right, and you feel good. So, there's a, a level of anxiety that's not, you know, we drove to three hours south in Washington and didn't feel good, you know, where the weather was poor and we're going to head back home. Right. I mean, you're invested a lot in these. And sometimes that's something to mm-hmm. think about. Um, you put the success really high on a pedestal. We got to get to the summit. I've gone so far, I've spent so much. Um, and trying to take a step back from that and say, yeah, it might not be in the cards. And that's adventure. Yeah. It's the journey, it's not always the destination or uh, there's nothing up there. You need to get to the top of these mountains. There's nothing there. I mean, it's a great view. <laughs> hopefully. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you, know, you have to prepare yourself physically, but mentally a little bit different.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't think about that. Cause, um, yeah, I think when you are planning trips or things like that, like, um, you know, if you're planning like a certain trip, like Disneyland or something like that, like you're going to get to it, go, it's just going to happen. It'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But You know, if you're doing something that's a little bit bigger and there's a lot more factors involved of whether or not it's safe and all these different aspects like that, that does make a lot, a lot more difficult and a little bit stressful because you're like kind of worrying about that the whole, whole trip. At least I would be.
0: Yeah. And that's where I think the more you get out there and explore it, you take a step back and look at the journey and you look at the process that it takes to get there, the preparation and enjoy that. Mm-hmm. You know, enjoy the travel, you know, if it's Africa, you know, enjoy the travel to Africa and the distance you're going and thinking about where you are in the world and landing there on the ground and the sights and smells, you know, taking all that in as part of the value of, of the climb or the experience, Yeah. you know, n- not putting that, I just got to get to the top summit fever out yeah. front. Um, but enjoy that 90% of everything else. Mm-hmm. Cause even when you get to the top, you're there for, you know, 10 minutes, 30 <laughs> minutes and you head back down.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah
0: but enjoying that whole process as well. Yeah. Um, in the, in the journey for the adventure.
1: Yeah. So what are some ways that you've, uh, been able to personally, um, kind of help yourself stay in that moment and instead of just going for that, that end goal,
0: slow down everything, you know, you get excited about travel or you're getting out there, but taking the time to just think about, uh, your sights and smells and senses, even when you're sitting in the airport, close your eyes and take in, you know, what it smells like, you know, just taking those kind of personal, I almost call them like photographs or like, you know, internal pictures of that moment.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, But not being rushed ahead that, you know, we got to get to this destination or we got to get down this road to the waterfall because we got to take pictures that we saw on Instagram. (laughs) Like what about everything else along the way on that dirt road or the birds or the sounds along the way? So taking the time to slow down in those experiences.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. So on that first climb then, yep. how was it? Did you guys end up getting there and the weather was all right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it all worked out. Um, I mean, it's, it's a tough climb, and the weather was great. Uh, everybody was healthy and happy. We all made it, almost all of us made it to the top. Okay. Um, which is typical. It's a, it's a difficult, difficult trip. There's a lot of anxiety that gets built into that. I think that's what slows people down too. Okay. Um, yeah, it was a great trip, successful. Nice. And uh, yeah, I did it again Three years later. Okay. So, nice.
1: Yeah. What is it, do you think, that um, why certain people are able to make it and some aren't? Like, do you think from a skill perspective that all, everyone that started that climb had the ability to finish it? Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, some climbs, some mountains, yeah, there's skill involved. Um, and you need to be prepared because you, you're going to endanger yourself and you can endanger other people. Right. Um, but some of these are more treks. It's a long walk up high. And I think a lot of it is the psychological part it's it's going into areas that are unknown um it's not necessarily like unmapped but in your own in your own mind unknown yeah. challenges and and outside of the box experiences yeah that i think slow people down and um i had a friend we climbed uh south sister in oregon okay and we got near the top and he just didn't think he had the energy to do it and it's understanding how much fuel you have in the tank yeah and i summited uh, came back and met him. And we kind of took a long route back down. But when we got back to the car, it was evident that he had enough energy to have done it. But yeah. he just hadn't been in that place, um, you know, within himself to know how much gas he had left. So I think that slows a lot of people down, just the mental aspect. Yeah. I think it's too hard. Right. But when you get out there and you push yourself, uh, you'd be surprised how much farther you think, you, farther you can go than you think you can.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's very cool. So <clears throat> um after you summoned that, uh, what, what was kind of your next path that you decided to do? Cause you, you decided not to do the fireman path. Mm-hmm. Um, you're here, uh, kind of, I guess if you're on your way back, flying back, what was yeah. kind of your going through your head at that point then?
0: So that climb really sparked, uh, for me, how to get people out and explore, um, a short story within that climb. We had gone to a hotel, um, after the climb and it's called the high view hotel. And we went by uh, this little orphanage um, down at the bottom of the hill. And there was kids outside waving and stuff. And, you know, they don't have a whole lot. And mm-hmm. um, their clothes were pretty, you know, minimal. Um, and we got up to the High View Hotel and got hot towels. It's marble floor. Uh, the Sounders game was on satellite. <laughs> we had Kilimanjaro beer and watched the Sounders game on satellite and said, Hey, tomorrow, we asked our guide, can we go down to that orphanage and just visit? And he said, Oh, no, you can't. So that's an AIDS orphanage. You know, those children's parents have died and they probably are sick too. So we're sitting there drinking beer mm-hmm. and uh, watching the Sounders on satellite. Well, these kids have not a whole lot of future. So that really stuck with me. And then coming back from that first trip, I thought about how can we, or how can anybody do more to help? Mm-hmm. And it started this whole kind of, we ended up making, me and a, a couple of friends started manufacturing and making flip-flops. Okay. And the idea was to sell these flip-flops and donate a portion of it to charity okay. And a model that's been done before. But yeah. you know, being able to get in on that um, or have a hand in that felt good. And it worked for a little while and we sold some flip-flops. But really the, the purpose, the goal was to get, if you could have got somebody there, if I could have taken somebody by the hand and, and had them experience that same thing, see those kids look in their eyes um, and see the contrast between the two, that's really what, I wanted to try and do introduce yeah. people to adventure introduce people to other parts of the world that they come back and they didn't mean they have to, you know, see somebody in a poor country and sell everything they have and live in a dung hut, yeah. but be a little more uh, understanding of the world. Be nicer to your neighbor,
2: mm-hmm.
0: be a little more generous, mm-hmm. give back a little bit more. And that's where the travel part kind of came in. It wasn't about flip flops. It's about getting people out there yeah. and seeing things and learning about themselves, challenging themselves And coming back and hopefully being a little better human yeah um so yeah that's where that the travel part really kind of kicked off and it was all right well how do we get people out there how do i go on adventures um make a little living and introduce the world to people and uh actually started an adventure travel company out of that okay that i ran for six years okay yeah
1: nice so then, upon getting that started, then so when you came back, then was that what you jumped right into? Then was that
0: it was pretty pretty immediate, yeah. Okay, yeah.
1: So what was that getting uh, getting that started for you? Had you had any business experience or anything?
0: Yeah. So at the time, I had also worked for a company called Quicksilver. Okay. Uh, so I originally started with Quicksilver in when I lived in California. This was after college, and I worked some in the marketing uh, in Huntington Beach, and also managed some of the retail stores. So I had connections kind of in the manufacturing side of things. And okay. Flip flops are one of their key products yeah um so really understanding the business side of things had some good partners and some good friends help out uh from the manufacturing and design of the flip-flops and and putting those pieces together and having them both designed made marketed and produced and sold okay yeah
1: nice and did you guys just sell them uh, online or did you sell them through retail stores
0: primarily online okay Mm -hmm. nice yeah so doing all that we could to cut out the middleman as well and you know the more margin you had the more you could give away
1: right yeah so then um, when, when
0: you guys kind of shut that down, when did you
1: start your adventure business then?
0: Uh, it was probably two or three years later. Okay. Um, the flip-flop model, it was difficult to kind of manage the, I guess, the, um, the giving aspect of the business without mm-hmm. growing out of that to maintain the purpose. Yeah. But still generate enough revenue or, or, or scale it up enough. Yeah. it really makes sense. Yep. And then that's when we just kind of looked back at, you know, what are we really trying to accomplish here? Mm-hmm. And it was getting people out there. It wasn't the flip-flop part. If you could sell a hundred flip-flops and influence one person, what if you just took that one person out there and showed it to them?
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Nice. So then uh, when you were getting this started then, the adventure business, how did that, how did you kind of get started in that then?
0: So I had had connections, uh, around the world. Um, some through my father from climbing, uh, others just through partners and friends of trips that I had done okay. and really just started putting the pieces together of what it would it take, um, to build out an adventure travel company and lead trips okay. and making connections and going out. We did, uh, several trips in Guatemala, um, to some of the volcanoes down there, okay. you know, going out and doing the trips myself, being able to understand what it took, what the experience is like, and then come back and introduce that to people and say, Hey, I'm putting a trip together. And it started small, yeah, and um, partnered with another travel company um, to build off of their trips a little bit, Mm-hmm. yeah, so it was just really hit the ground running, go out, explore, find unique places, come back home, uh, put a package together, and then take people out and show them. Okay,
1: and did you just reach out to, like, friends and family, or did you have people reaching out to you then?
0: Um, friends and family is, is really how it started. Okay. I uh, did a lot of talks and just introduced people to the concepts, and grew it from there. Okay. But... Started definitely small, you know. Convince a few family friends, you know, to let them let me put a trip together for them. Yeah, um, take them back to Kilimanjaro and you know and grow up from there. Okay, um, and then you know, been to Ever Space Camp and trips in Guatemala and yeah,
1: nice. So very cool. Um, I got to spend some time in Guatemala. Um, we stayed. Um, well, we were doing a business venture down there. And so I kind of traveled a, a ways around it, but, uh, we spent a couple of weeks in, uh, Antigua, Guatemala. Yeah. And that was just a beautiful city just to walk around and just
0: kind yeah. of
1: live in their culture for a little bit.
0: Yeah, it's really, and you have the volcanoes right there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, we, in fact, one of them erupted while we were down. I mean, mini eruption, but, um, you know, we got to see the lava.
0: Like, we saw this little, like, red stream start going yeah. down. It. it was really cool. So, one of the climbs we would do is Akatenango, okay. which is right there outside, outside of Antigua, and its neighbor is Fuego. Okay, Vulcan yes. Fuego, yeah. And you climb Acatenango, which is 10,000, a little over 10,000 feet, I think, maybe okay. a little more than that. Yeah, and you watch Vulcan Fuego erupt during the night. Wow. Yeah, it's right there, and you're, yeah, it's an incredible experience. From, yeah. A really neat place, yeah. Yeah, it's a
1: beautiful country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the
0: coffee, great coffee there. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, very cool. So um, so then you started doing all of this then, um, and then did you say you you stopped doing that then?
0: Um, I do a little bit okay. uh, of organization for trips and stuff now, but primarily I'm at Ocean Gate. Okay. That's, that's
1: the main focus. Cool. So in all of that then, how did you kind of end up getting tied in? Well, I, I guess actually before we jump into Ocean Gate. Mm-hmm. In all of your trips and stuff like that, what were your favorite places that you got to go to
0: and that you suggest people go visit? Mm, Nepal. Okay. Uh, In the Himalayas, of course, that's got to be high on the list. Uh, So much history there. Uh, The big mountains, the culture, the people. Mm -hmm. I I think that's what drives a lot of it for me is the people. Yeah. Um, And then Africa. Um, Kenya, Tanzania. Um, Yeah, the people drive a lot of it. And amazing, beautiful places, uh, but if you can see these amazing amazing places with amazing people, yeah. uh, that are proud of their country, proud of the area, want to show uh, show you the best stuff around, mm-hmm. um, you know, finding good partners that way. I think that as you travel, you got to be aware and be yeah. conscious of, you know, a lot of the people are looking for opportunity, and it's not always good opportunity right. uh, to take advantage of things. But if you connect with the right groups, uh, like for uh, Kilimanjaro, for example, there's a group out there called the Kiliman or the K-Pap. Kilimanjaro Porter Association Program. Okay. And they help to protect the porters uh, so they're not, they get paid. Um, it's kind of a, a union, I guess. Okay. Uh, but looking at the the trekking organizations that are KPAP certified, mm-hmm. so the KPAP group will go in and say, you know, what are you paying the guides? What are you paying the porters? What's the fair treatment? Those kinds of things. And just being educated yeah, before you travel helps helps a lot of that. But yeah, um, in Nepal, I think if I had to put on a list, Kilimanjaro, both tangible things, uh, for most people to go, you could track to Ever Space Camp and have an amazing experience. Mm-hmm. You could go climb Kilimanjaro and check off one of the world's uh, highest or the one of the seven summits. Yeah, um, and yeah, those two. Nice, very cool.
1: So then in all of this then, how did you end up getting tied in with Ocean Gate Expeditions? And then maybe um, do kind of a, a explainer of what Ocean Gate Expeditions is.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So amongst all this travel, always looking for new, unique places to go. Um, the space market, uh, that whole landscape is opening. And so is Underwater World, uh, so exploring underwater. Mm-hmm. And this is probably three years ago. Um, got a notification, I think it was like one of the like Indeed or LinkedIn, this job, you know, might be interesting to you. Mm-hmm. And really started looking at uh, these underwater exploration companies. And one popped up called Ocean Gate Expeditions. It just so happens it's in Everett. Okay. Uh, so we're at the port of Everett. And I connected with them, um, chatted for quite a while, a couple, couple months about what I did um, from the adventure travel side, what they needed, um, what their goals were, and came home as the expedition manager. Okay. Yeah. So Ocean Gate Expeditions, we uh, own and operate three manned submersibles. Okay. So these are people go inside. Each one, uh, I take five people. And the submersibles range in depth from uh, around 1,000 feet uh, to, well, 4,000 meters, which is almost 13,000 feet, Wow. our deep diving sub. Wow. Okay. So we use the subs for a few different ways uh, or for a few different reasons. Uh, For education, for research, Uh, we do have some government industrial contracts and then now we've kind of segmented off these adventure travel aspects. Okay. Um, so we call uh, the mission specialists, but they're paying positions, or people pay for a mission specialist position. They can join the expedition. Okay. As a member of the crew, an active member of the crew, um, and go on expeditions with us, and go, as we did down to the Titanic. Okay. Uh, and see see these things underwater for yourself. Wow. Yeah.
1: Very cool. So with that, then, what was, um, how did the I guess how did the Titanic titanic become one of the guys your guys's focus and and planned
0: people know it yeah uh our goals at Oceangate are much bigger than just the titanic but that's a big thing that people know i mean the titanic story has touched all of us in some way whether yeah. it's from the movie or um you know knowing something or somehow or somebody's just generally interested in it mm-hmm. we all kind of know it and and as, as a kind of a big stepping stone for us Oceangate started in 2009 okay um exploring a lot of different areas Uh, but the titanic kind of as a big kickoff point a big expedition Mm -hmm. uh, for these deep dives a lot of people a lot of people know it it's there's great research down there a lot of neat things to see from the archaeological standpoint yeah biological standpoint human history um yeah so it's it's just a great great dive if you can get if you have the sub to do it yeah yeah so for you um
1: how was it doing the when you first started doing the dives and stuff like that
0: when I first got introduced, uh, my first dive was when, uh, I don't know, just a couple of months after I started in Ocean Gate. And it's an interesting experience. I mean, the first one, it's much calmer, safer, uh, relaxing than you'd expect. Okay. Um, it's quiet, it's smooth, uh, but there's a little bit of apprehension. And that's a little bit we talked about before with, with climbs. It's the fear of the unknown. Yeah. And it's outside the box. How am I going to react? What's it going to be like? Mm-hmm. And getting introduced to that and kind of putting yourself in those positions, you'd be surprised that it's not as daunting, scary as you'd think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the 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 dive experiences are truly amazing. It, you, you get transported to a, a different world. Yeah. You really do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we've done, we do a lot of diving out here in the Puget Sound. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a lot of dives kind of between Hat Island and Camano. Okay. Um, but it's amazing how you can go, you know, head out, get in a sub, go down several hundred feet, explore a whole different part of the planet, uh, come back to the surface and, you know, go have lunch. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not unlike scuba diving in some ways, you know, being introduced to that world, but, uh, the subs, there's no decompression.
2: Oh, there's Um, not. Okay.
0: Uh, Uh, it's warm. (laughs) Nothing. It's inviting. (laughs) Uh, you don't get wet. You can experience that with other people. Mm -hmm. You can sit in there and talk and point. Uh, we have oftentimes researchers or interpreters come and and show you, you know, what you're seeing and how it fits in the ecosystem, um, which is funner than scuba diving and you know mumbling to your buddy and poking and prodding. Right. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. No, that was something uh, I was gonna wondering about, especially with some of the deeper dives, is that decompression
0: and all that stuff. And um, now, yeah, inside the sub, it's one atmosphere. Uh, so the the pressure chamber, of the the hole of the sub. Is strong enough to withstand the outside pressure. Okay. So it does nothing changes inside. Mm-hmm. And then we also scrub the atmosphere of carbon dioxide. So okay. we have a scrubbing material and we add a little bit of oxygen. It's the same stuff that they would use uh, in, on the space shuttle. Okay. Or in space. Okay. Uh, so you just clean the atmosphere so we don't have compressed air, no scuba tanks. We yeah. just clean the air. Okay.
2: Yeah.
1: Wow. Very cool. Um, so for the, the Titanic then. What was that like? One, I guess, getting prepped for it and everything. Mm. Um, and I guess, locationally-wise, where, like, I guess, exactly is where that? Where is it?
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, it's really deep underwater. Right. But it's also about 380 miles south of St. John's, Newfoundland. Okay. So, if you think about kind of that northern, northeastern corner of Canada and then Boston... Mm-hmm. If you were to draw uh, two lines intersecting on a map from Boston over in St. John's, it's it's right about there. So it's off okay. of uh, the Grand Banks, um, or there's kind of that continental shelf there.
1: Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So then when you guys did this, what was that, I guess, what was the prep for it? And then what was it like doing the actual expedition?
0: So the prep has been years in preparation. Ocean Gate's uh, Titanic plan started back in 2000 and, well, really early on. I mean, really started prepping for it in 2017. Okay. Uh, The development, the testing of the submersible is a huge part of that. Yeah. Our sub is very unique. This is the deep diving sub. Uh, It's called Titan. Okay. Uh, It was developed uh, in partnership with aerospace companies as well as NASA. Um, It was manufactured the pressure hull. So this is kind of like, imagine a a paper towel tube, really big one. Uh, It's five inch thick carbon fiber.
2: Wow. Okay. Uh, It's one
0: of the largest pressure vessels, carbon fiber pressure vessels ever made. Yeah. Um, And it was manufactured here locally. We've got great aerospace resources here with Boeing. Yeah. Um, And then the end caps, imagine two hemispheres, two halves of circles. Yeah. Stuck on there. Those are uh, three and a quarter inch titanium. Okay. So this pressure hole in this carbon fiber um, composite submersible is very, very unique as well. Okay. So it's been a long road of development and testing, Um, you know, building pressure holes, testing scale models, Mm -hmm. uh, working with the Applied Physics Lab at the University of Washington, developing some of this yeah we spent a year and a half in the bahamas uh, testing the pressure hole um and the sub in its full configuration in the deep waters of the bahamas yeah so it's a long process long road uh even taking the sub to the deep ocean test facility is what it's called in annapolis maryland shipping it out there okay putting it in an above ground pressure chamber okay um to make sure that the the hole is strong enough Mm -hmm. um so that is a long, long process and long build-up from that engineering yeah. aspect. Oh, okay. Um, from the preparations, from the people side, um, the mission specialists, as I mentioned, paying guests that help underwrite the expedition and join. Yeah. Um, you know, getting everybody on board. Um, we kind of that was the a kind of an early adopter group, um, but getting them all ready to go and then and then heading out on this expedition this last last summer, and we spent uh, five weeks. Okay. Out in the North Atlantic exploring. Yeah. Yeah. So do
2: you guys
1: travel in the sub out there or is that...
0: So everything goes on trucks. Okay. So it's all built and configured to go on the back of a semi or multiple semis. Okay. That we can travel and chip it overland.
1: Yep. So then once you guys get to the actual location then, um, is that when everyone loads up into the... Like is it taken, I guess, out towards that area? Is it then on a boat and then gets launched? Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. So we everybody meets in St. John's and we have... uh, 300-foot-long, 80-foot-wide, 8,000-ton offshore support vessel. Okay. And that's our kind of our hotel and work platform while we're out there. And the sub gets loaded on the back of this big ship. It's like Mm -hmm. a big pickup truck in the ocean.
1: Yeah.
0: And we load up everybody. Um, It's great accommodations. It's very comfortable. It's, imagine, a... It's not quite the, a cruise line, but for this work that we do, it's pretty much a four-star resort yeah. out there. There's, you know, a gym, great food. Um, it's really comfortable. Nice. And we head out to the dive site, and uh, the sub launches off of the back of the, the, uh, the ship on a ramp, essentially. It's a, okay. If you imagine this paper towel tube and hemispheres I, I talked about before, uh, sitting on top of a, a floating barge. Yep. We launch the barge and the sub off of the ship. Okay. And it floats back... I don't know, 100 meters um, off the back of the ship. And then the barge and the sub both sink together. And okay. they, they sink down uh, about 100 feet. And at, under the water at 100 feet, the sub disconnects from the barge. Okay. And the sub heads down with people in it to go do the expedition or explore or whatever that mission might be. Yeah. And then when it's done, it comes back. It lands back on this underwater barge. The barge underwater fills back with pressurized air, and it comes back to the surface. Weird. Wow. <coughs> That's crazy. So it's a patented um, way to launch the, the sub. But what it does is the water's pretty calm underwater, especially mm-hmm. 100 feet down. So if you have rough seas or the waves, you know, things are rocking and rolling. Yeah. Um, and we've all, If you've ever been scuba diving, when you're on the dive boat and you're rocking and rolling, you dive underwater, and now all of a sudden everything's mellow. Okay. There's not much movement under there, and that's where we can mate the platform and the sub together. Yeah. We bring it back to the surface, and then it comes back on the back of the ship. Okay. Yeah.
1: That's very cool. Yeah, my uh, my background's engineering. Um, in fact, I worked with a company that their primary focus was carbon fiber. They did tools for Boeing and stuff mm. like that. And um, so I'm trying to imagine, like, when you said five inches of carbon fiber, I'm like, that's that's so many layers. of yeah, yeah, over and over. So, um, but yeah, then from an engineering perspective, like, creating that whole launch platform of, like, getting it from the boat, off the barge, and then sinking that, and then...
0: Yeah. Like, that's quite, quite the feat. Yeah, there's a, l- a little bit going on there, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we try and simplify the systems and make them as redundant as you can, mm-hmm. um, you know, because they can get overcomplicated really quickly. Yeah. But we look at these intersections of risk. You know, where is somebody going to get hurt, and what can we do to mitigate that? Mm-hmm. Uh, on the surface, you get got a lot moving around, rocking and rolling. How would you mitigate that? Well, underwater seems pretty calm. <laughs> Let's head there and see if you can make that work in a yeah. safe way. Uh, once you're in the sub, you know, you're, you're locked in the sub. Yeah, uh, the deep diving sub titan, the front dome is actually bolted shut. Okay. So you're in a, a container essentially. Um, it's not claustrophobic. It's actually really welcoming. But mm-hmm. you're safe. You're you're in a safe space there. Uh, so you remove some of those those intersections. Yeah. So if you can put people in the sub on the boat. Yeah. Launch them off. They head down and then get them back out on the boat. Really, you've eliminated a lot of that risk. Yeah. Floating around and bopping on the sea. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Very cool how how big is the like how many people can the Titan hold five five okay yeah. so it's also five
0: yep so we've got a pilot a co-pilot, mm-hmm. and then three either mission specialists or researchers or scientists will go
1: okay yeah. nice so then were you in that first run then
0: uh, so I've been in, in the I've been in Titan several times uh, here in Puget Sound and also in the Bahamas mm-hmm. but I did not get the chance to go to the Titanic okay uh, this year so the the uh Priority was the mission specialists as well as the researchers and then getting our pilots time down there on the wreck.
1: Okay, nice. So then um, you guys have another one planned,
0: though, coming up here, right? Yeah, so we'll be going back to the Titanic every year. Okay. Uh, Next one will begin next year um, in May. Uh, I think this is the 16th of May. Okay. Uh, We'll kick back off from St. John's and finish June 30th. Okay. Uh, But there's a lot. I mean, we've just kind of crack the can open there um there's a lot to see on the titanic itself yeah um and a lot of interest and a lot of opportunity for more people to go down see the titanic in person um be part of the expedition contribute to research but we'll be heading back there every summer okay until there's nothing left to see (laughs)
1: nice (laughs) cool so then um for you then what what are kind of your things that you're doing within the company right now then
0: So I manage a lot of the expedition side. So we have the manufacturing, we have uh, the engineering, and the operations. Mm -hmm. And then the expedition side is the client management part, Uh, the mission specialists. So we don't just let anybody join. There's a cost to join. uh, But we want to make sure the people that join really are cohesive with the team. Their expectations are in line with ours. Um, So I do a lot of the client vetting, um, that kind of, I guess, the sales side of things. And then when we're out at sea, uh, making sure that everybody... Uh, is getting what they expect and um, making sure everybody's happy. And I work closely with uh, the expedition director uh, from the uh, everyday operations side of things. Okay. Um, So I oversee a lot of the kind of the high-level stuff as well as the safety side of things. My firefighting EMT background folds in there. So I'm kind of the safety on board as well. Okay. Um, Nice. Yeah, so we all wear many hats. Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah, as in many smaller businesses. (laughs) Yes, yes. Very cool. How actually, how big is the team at Ocean Gate?
0: There's uh, 17 of us.
1: Okay. So yeah. yeah, still pretty small then.
0: Pretty small. Yeah, we do use a lot of contractors. Um, yep. So from the engineering side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't take a whole lot of personnel to actually, um, I mean, it does, and there's some people power involved. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't take a huge team uh, to actually ex- execute the expeditions. Okay.
1: Nice. Um, how often do you get to norm- to go do dives in like Puget Sound and stuff like that?
0: Um, years past. This has been a little bit different with COVID and all that stuff, but right. uh, we try and dive weekly. And oh wow, okay. In years past. Uh, I think the t- team's diving one of our subs tomorrow. Okay. Yeah, so the dives happen pretty regularly. Okay. So on those smaller dives,
1: are those open to the research people as well? Mm-hmm. And are they able to pay in and, and do those?
0: Yeah, there's still opportunity for. Well, you know guests uh mission specialists civilian scientists to join yep. every aspect or every dive we do there's a scientific aspect to it okay we may go lo- monitor something um document observations go look at something specific some of our partners you know are looking for certain things in, in Puget Sound uh whether it's Seattle Aquarium who may be interested in six skill sharks and we report back to them if we saw one okay uh we've always got our eye out for those and if you're familiar with six gill no, sharks no or not we've got some big sharks in Puget Sound Okay. Um, they're really they're pretty deep. Uh, they're really mellow. Uh, you, they're rarely seen because they, they live so deep. But they're called six skill sharks, um, and they can be fifteen feet long. Wow. Yeah, right out here. <laughs> did, 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 did you know they're fifteen foot long sharks cruising around the nope. south end of the island? No, I'm not ever going swimming out there again. <laughs> But they are incredibly deep. They live down really deep and it, it, no deeper than scuba okay. um, traditionally goes. There were a lot of sightings back in the early 2000s down in Seattle. Okay. Um, they think it was, down mm. in that area was kind of a, a nursery for these sharks and uh, there was kind of a, a, a boom in population or, or people seeing them, which yeah. is, it's died down a lot these years, um, which scientists don't really know why. Okay. Uh, but six-scale sharks, they are out there. Okay. Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah, no, I uh I've always been somewhat wary about swimming in the ocean to begin with and, and you know, every time I hear more things, I used to watch uh <laughs> Discovery Channel a lot. I think that's why I don't like swimming in the ocean is they would always do those shots where you're like, they start t- high, and then they do the submersed dive. Uh-huh. And they're like, and then when you get to this level, there's all these things. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to swim in the ocean anymore.
0: <laughs> well, if you're inside a submersible, they can't get to you. Right. That's yeah, a little bit a, different. My, great... my friend
1: does scuba diving, which I'm like, I'm still not ready for that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was looking over your shoulder.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's very cool, though. Yeah. Um, I do think it's fascinating. I think especially watching some of those uh, when they talk about the things and they show... Um, it is, it's like a different world. You're like an alien world.
0: It absolutely is. I mean, that's the biggest thing that I try and convey is it, it is an alien world. Uh, there is so much we don't know. Yeah. I mean, you you've probably heard that before, you know, that the, we know more about what the, the surface of the moon than we do about our own ocean. Yeah. And, uh, I think people just take it for granted. You look out at a beautiful sunset over the water here from the island Yeah. and it looks great, but what goes on underneath those waves yeah. and it, access to that. In, unless you're scuba dive certified and go through some of the courses, mm-hmm. um, but even deep under the water, access to that has been reserved traditionally for universities, for, uh, you know, governments that mm-hmm. have these deep diving subs. And that's where we're kind of trying to carve some of this out uh, to get more people, civilian scientists, people mm-hmm. interested in the ocean down deep yeah. and see what's down there. And it's a strange, wild world that we know very little about yeah we will go on dives and you'll see stuff that nobody has a clue what it is that is common to see something and it's might be the first time a human has ever seen it yeah a species that we've never identified right that is a that is a true easy possibility yeah uh, on each of these dives that's crazy yeah
2: yeah
1: very cool so then you st- and you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast you you just did the um, the climb of Mount St. Helens with your son. Mm-hmm. Um, so y- even with this, you're still going out and doing adventures or at least oh, locally then yeah
0: yeah yeah uh, spending uh, almost two months. In total, I guess, out there uh, on the ocean. Yeah. Yeah, climbing a mountain sounded like a really good idea. Uh, so, <laughs> um, there's And that's kind of, that's a strange contrast, too. When you're out in the middle of the North Atlantic, you're on the surface, and there's not much to see. Yeah. Um, it was really neat. We were in the Gulf Stream there. The water temperature was around 80 degrees. Okay. Uh, we caught mahi-mahi off of the boat. Nice. Nice. Um, but, you know, missing the trees, missing the mountains, you know, yeah. having that void because that was something that's where I, you know, grew up and came from. And getting yeah. back and climbing was, it was nice. And then t- taking my son for his ninth birthday, uh, kind of similar that I did yeah. years, years ago.
1: That's great. Um, and so w- when you do some of these trips and stuff like that, you're gone for a good chunk of time then, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So that's- is it communication all right? Like easy to get back and forth with kids and family
0: yeah i mean is as, as much as you're being remote and being away from home for a while it yeah. Yeah, is a bummer yeah um but i think well and from a technology standpoint things are getting easier yeah we have satellite on the boat we can do facetime oh nice yeah uh, you have a difference in time but you can stay connected that way and the more you know the world's changing
2: mm-hmm. with
0: you know satellite networks and you know, wi-fi it's easier to, to stay connected yeah but even when i'm not home which is a bummer. My hope is that by doing these things and leading and, and showing my kids what's possible out there, yeah. um, that kind of fills that you can, you know, how much of a, a father figure, you know, in a big sense, I guess this is personally, yeah. um, do I have on the day-to-day versus doing these big adventures and my kids saying, oh yeah, you know, my dad went to, on a Titanic expedition or went and climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, what can't I do? Yeah. Um, So just trying to keep that door open or or introduce them to a bigger world. Yeah. Which means sometimes you're not home for bedtime. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Cool. All right. And then uh, do you have any big trips that you have planned out right now?
0: Um, We're, from Ocean Gate standpoint, we'll be traveling a bunch this winter. We're taking Titan, our deep diving submersible, on a roadshow tour. Okay. Uh, So we're actually taking it on its, uh, it'll go on the back of a semi. Uh, we're going to hit a, a few major cities along the way. We're bringing it back here eventually to Everett okay. to get prepared for next year's expedition, but mm-hmm. we're going to do some stops. Uh, first one is next month in Rhode Island, uh, in Connecticut, we'll be headed to the Detroit area, Atlanta, um, Scottsdale, um, Palm Springs back up here to Seattle. So we've got, um, trips that way, kind of from a business standpoint, yeah. um, uh, plan personally. Um, that's probably going to consume a lot of my time. We'll try right. and sneak out for some climbs in the spring yep. before heading back out to the Titanic again. Okay. Yeah. Very cool.
1: Awesome. Well, I like to end every podcast with some rapid-fire questions. Sure. Uh, so the first one is, what purchase of $100 or less have you enjoyed the most in the last three months?
0: Um, I got a new Bluetooth speaker. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of like one of those Bluetooth boombox ones. Yes. And yeah. every, almost every night when the sky is a little bit clear, uh, we'll sit down on our front porch. We look to the west, mm-hmm. and we turn music on, me and my kids, and we sit, blankets wrapped up. And the challenge is who can spot the first star. Okay. And you get a dollar <laughs> if you see the first star. So there's an incentive there. Yes. Uh, so we're starting the business uh, thing early. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, the speaker, we put some tunes on. <laughs> sit with the kids, and watch for that first star to show up. Nice. And I think that, uh, for me right now, you know, after having come back from a long trip, yeah, is probably one of my, my best purchases in the last couple of months. Nice. Yeah. Very cool.
1: Uh, pretend you have a friend coming from out of town. What would their first day look like here?
0: Uh, on the island, state parks. Yeah. All the parks, I guess. Yeah. I do a little tour, start on the north end, mm-hmm. um, and check out the parks. Uh, come here, you know, explore local goods, yeah. uh, the marketplace. And, yeah, head down to the state parks to Kama uh, and uh, Camano. Nice. Yeah, and just try and get out on some trails and enjoy the, the nature, um, you know, and I guess that kind of slow community we have here and, yeah. and slow down for a few.
1: Yeah. No, that's it, it's definitely a special part about Kamino is that um, you kind of get to escape everything else and just be in nature and be kind of where, mm-hmm. you know, the island life.
0: Yeah, the hustle and bustle kind of goes away.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Nice. All right. Who's an interesting or fascinating person in this community that I should interview
0: next? So I saw this question. I gave it some thought. Terry Swarner. Okay. I'm going to put her out there. Yeah. So uh, she lives here on the island. Terry Swarner is an amazing woman. And her son uh, is Sean Swarner. Yeah. And uh, are you familiar with? So I've I've
1: had their name suggested before, um, but keep going.
0: Okay. Perfect. Um, Sean Swarner uh, is who I climbed with in 2012. Uh, on Kilimanjaro, for the first time.
1: Really? Okay. Yeah.
0: So that he ran the cancer or runs the Cancer Climber Association. They climb Kilimanjaro every year. Uh, he lives in Colorado, but he's often out here. Okay. Uh, travels quite a bit. I've actually climbed. Well, the second time I climbed Kilimanjaro, I ran into him on the summit. Okay. <laughs> but we had become friends uh, since then, and um, catch up with each other when he's in town. Climbed mm-hmm. Rainier with him. Okay. Uh, in the winter time, but uh, he's an amazing story. Um, I'll let you. I don't want to give too much of his story away. Uh, but he's a two-time cancer survivor, climbed all seven summits, went to wow. both poles, did it all with one lung. Uh, <laughs> his mom's amazing. She lives here on the island, and, yeah, it's, it, their whole family story is fascinating. Very
1: cool. Yeah. All right. And lastly, what piece of advice would you give your 20-year-old self?
0: Follow your heart. Follow your interests. Um, do what you love to do, and then figure out a way to monetize it. Yeah. So follow your passion. Don't just follow what the world or society says you should do. Mm -hmm. But what interests you? uh, Hopefully that, you know, helps the world in a a good way. Yeah. But follow your heart and follow what you're trying to do. And then second to that, figure out a way to make the money you need to make out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, the world's changing now and it'll be changing in years. And if I could go back and tell myself um, or have that confidence that, you know, just to follow your heart and you get on things earlier. I, I would, hope I would have been in this position a few years ago. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, no, I think, I think that's really neat. I think there is, um, there's so many opportunities out there now. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, I hope it's inspiring for people who listen to this podcast, just kind of seeing what's out there and, um, you can kind of make a living and, and do what you love all in the same place.
0: Yeah. Just get creative, you know, and talk to people, look for resources and you can pull some pretty incredible things together.
1: Very cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast.
0: Well, I thank you for your time, and, and thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. And Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Kyle Bingham for joining me on the podcast today, and thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to, your, to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us be found by other Islanders like yourself. And for more information on this episode, you can go to commandocommons.com slash podcast. That's commandocommons.com slash